engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. Welcome. It is Atlanta's Evening News, and I'm Eric Erickson here on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And it is a beautiful day on Peachtree Street. We have to get into Brian Kemp's polling because everybody said this wouldn't happen. If you listen to any major media outlet, they told you that it was a dangerous thing for Brian Kemp to sign the fetal heartbeat legislation. That it would be it would be bad for him. It would be bad for the GOP. It would it would be devastating, if you will. It would be devastating for the Republicans in 2020. Well, we now have polling, courtesy of the Atlanta Journal Constitution. We have polling, and guess what? Brian Kemp, his popularity has gone up nine points since he became governor. Nine points. The poll conducted by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution or for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution shows 46% of registered Georgia voters have a favorable impression. Now, that's really, really, really important, registered Georgia voters. Why do I say it's really important? If you are a regular listener of this program, um, you've heard this before. For those of you who are new, and we have a lot of new listeners here, let me explain this to you. There are classes of polling. There are polls of American adults which lean very democratic. Uh, the reason they lean very democratic is because uh, the majority of Americans identify more with the Democratic Party. Um, but uh, as you get a, a more defined group of people, you get a, a closer and closer representation. So all American adults tends to lean Democrat by about four or five points. Uh, registered adults tends to lean Democrat by about two or three points. And then you have likely voters, and likely voters tends to be a fairly good, even balance, and you get a sense without the, the bias representation. Remember, uh, the reason this is the case, particularly with registered voters, is because if you're an adult and you can, uh, you're in most cases automatically registered to vote. And that skews it um, towards the Democrats. Now, the more likely someone is engaged in the political process, the more the numbers shrink to get a fair sample. So if you're a registered Georgia voters and 46% have a favorable impression, among likely voters, the odds are that's about 48, 49%, basically 50, 50%. Now, what's so interesting here is that it's not a majority of voters uh, disapprove because he's at 46, so uh, you have 54% who disapprove. That's not true at all. In fact, it is, um, he's got a majority, a, a plurality of voters support him, a plurality of voters like him. His disapproval is 39%. So a 46% approval rating, a 39% disapproval rating, everyone else is undecided. That's actually really, really good for the governor, considering the trend lines in Georgia, that 39%, that's basically the Democratic base in Georgia disapproves of him, but independents, moderates, Republicans, they're approving of, of the governor. That's good. In fact, uh, a really good sign for the governor here is that he's outpacing Donald Trump. 40% of Georgians approve of the president. 
56% disapprove. That's really bad, by the way. That is really bad for the president. Now, again, uh, this is registered voters, not likely voters. So you got 40% approval. You probably got 43, 44% approval among likely voters. That's still really, really, really bad because you get 56% of Georgians disapprove and the registered voters go down. You probably got 53. You still got a majority of Georgians who disapprove of the president and that includes Republicans. That's not good for the president's reelection. What is good is we have a governor who is increasingly popular. And what is good is we have a governor who after the fetal heartbeat controversy, this poll was taken after the fetal heartbeat controversy, his polling's gone up. His polling's gone up nine points. People said this wouldn't happen. The prognosticator said it wouldn't happen. The pundit said it wouldn't happen. The editorialist said it wouldn't happen. The longtime observers of Georgia politics, the elder statesmen of political punditry, they all said, no, 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 this is going to hurt him. And it didn't. It helped him. Now, here's the more interesting part. <coughs> Excuse me. Stacey Abrams, really unpopular. In January, a majority of Georgians, 52%, had a positive view of Stacey Abrams. That's now 45%. So you're saying, well, 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 okay, that's tied with the governor. He's 46, she's 45, statistically sampled. That's okay, except there's a problem. There's a margin between the governor's approval and disapproval. 46% say they like the governor. 39% say they don't. With Stacey Abrams, it's 45% say they do. 45% say they don't. What that says here, because of the undecided, is that more people have made up their mind about Stacey Abrams. There are less undecided people. There are less people out there saying, I'm, I'm not sure yet, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. People have stopped giving Stacey Abrams the benefit of the doubt. That's pretty damning, by the way. That's pretty damn it. Now, I would dispute the methodology of the polling, by the way. It was conducted from March 24th through Monday. That's too long a time period, uh, very much too long a time period. It was conducted by the University of Georgia School of Public and International Affairs. Uh, so you do need to know these things. I am critical of the poll in this regard. Uh, the window means it was, it was a wide, wide margin, and uh, that was during the legislative session and to the end of the legislation le legislative session. And I so I dispute the methodology there. So I don't put a ton of stock in this. But at the same time, uh, we do have this poll predicated on a prior poll uh, using the same methodology. And so using the same methodology, we at least can see the trend lines, even if we can dispute the percentages and whatnot, given the time period. And the trend line is nine points up for Brian Kemp and what, uh, five, six, seven points down for Stacey Abrams, except with Stacey Abrams, her disapproval rating has increased. Her approval rating has gone down. And with Kemp, it's just the opposite. His approval rating has gone up and his disapproval rating has gone down. That's very good trend lines for the governor. Most popular politician in the state of Georgia in this poll, David Perdue. That's good for him. Also, Johnny Isaacson. Everybody loves Johnny Isaacson. And there's more bad news for Stacey Abrams out there. The State Ethics Commission is launching an investigation planning to subpoena bank records from the campaign and from outside groups that raise money for her. Now, you will recall the State of the Commission, that's basically the, the FEC for the state. Uh, Stefan Ritter was in charge of it, and he had been accused of stalling investigations after the commission audited campaign reports from the organizations last year. And then he was also accused of watching pornography at the office, and he resigned. 
Well, now they've got a new guy, and the new guy's name is uh, David Amati, and David Amati is picking up the investigation that wasn't going anywhere with his predecessor. Obviously, the Abrams campaign is crying foul. They're saying the guy's a, a Republican, and therefore he's out to get him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, there's a legitimate issue here. And it's not just uh, the State Ethics Commission. The uh, what the Associated Press headline, political spinning by Abrams nonprofit could pose problems. In a matter of months, Stacey Abrams has gone from losing the Georgia governor's race, despite claiming she won, to being a heavily recruited Democratic star urged to run for the Senate and mentioned as a possible presidential contender. Well, it's a dramatic rise fueled by promotional spending of Fair Fight Action, a nonprofit she founded to advance voting rights. But spending for Fair Fight Action, staffed by Abrams campaign staffers, could raise questions with the Internal Revenue Service. Are they running afoul of tax rules for a nonprofit and for Federal Election Commission spending. Hmm. Looks like there are multiple investigations regarding Stacey Abrams now. And of course, they're going to say it's partisan. But I would note to you that this is what the Trump team said. And all the Democrats said, no, 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 this is legitimate. You got to trust the government. And now the Democrats say, oh, this is partisan. This is Brian Kemp and Donald Trump coming after Stacey Abrams. No, no, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. You, you said trust the government. The government was doing due diligence. Well, the government's doing due diligence here. They're just looking into it. By the way, I suspect they may find something. It is very interesting how this nonprofit has really been coordinating to boost Stacey Abrams. When it's not supposed to be a group about Stacey Abrams, it's supposed to be a group about fair fights and elections. Very interesting. This is going to play out, and, and she continues to have her popularity go down. i got to tell you, this is not the popularity Democrats want for someone to run for the Senate. you got David Perdue more popular than Stacey Abrams in the state. You have more people undecided about David Perdue willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Most people's minds are made up about Stacey Abrams, and they decided they don't like her. By the way, do you know why her popularity has tanked in Georgia? Turns out voters really got hacked off with Stacey Abrams for not only being unwilling to concede the election, but also trying to stir up racial strife in the state. Yeah, it turns out even black voters don't like it when you try to go out and tell them that they've been oppressed when they know they haven't been. Turns out black voters don't like it when you try to stir the racial pot and uh, stir up racial animosity in the state. Tur turns out that black voters don't like it, white voters don't like it, Hispanic voters don't like it. She has played badly after the election. She responded badly, she performed badly, she's behaved badly, and the voters don't like it. When you see her popularity crashing like it is and her negatives beginning to skyrocket, that tells you she's got to do something different. Maybe she needs to lay low. I don't think it's going to be, I think you're going to start seeing with this polling coming out, Democrats in Washington saying, hey, maybe we don't want her running for the Senate. I have a napping pillow. I know it sounds odd, but I have a pillow, and when I take a nap, I nap with it. In fact, you know, I've mentioned the call map to you guys. When I nap, sometimes I'll use the call map, and this pillow makes it fantastic. It is my butterfly pillow. 63% of Americans sleep on their sides, and, you know, if you go to the store, you'll see 
really firm pillows, somewhat firm pillows, soft pillows. Well, my butterfly pillow gives you support in the places you need it most. It keeps your neck and your spine in alignment throughout the night, even if you switch sides. My butterfly pillow has patented sleep technology. It elevates your head to where you need it. It includes a place even to fit your arm and a pillow and a pillow for your ear. It's soft. It's comfortable even if you stay in one position all night. And the height, this is what I particularly love, the height of my butterfly pillow is adjustable. It also has Bluetooth-adapted night owl speakers so you can listen to music sounds or even a smart TV. Listeners to my program, The Eric Erickson Show, this here podcast can save $30 off the list price of $129. Use code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout, and you'll get My Butterfly Pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental U.S. Go to MyButterflyPillow.com and enter code ERIC at checkout to save $30, get free shipping. That's MyButterflyPillow.com. The checkout code is ERIC, and yes, I had a nap this afternoon before recording this here podcast ad and I used my butterfly pillow. I turned on the call map and I slept a hard sleep for 30 minutes. You know, it was one of those naps where you, you actually, it's enough time, but not so long that you wake up super groggy. I was refreshed. It was relaxing. It was great. All thanks to my butterfly pillow. Go to my butterfly Use the checkout code, Eric. Now, the phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. It appears that Herman Cain's nomination for the Federal Reserve Board is doomed. And I I hate to say that, but uh, uh, Kevin Kramer, I believe he's uh, the senator from North Dakota, has now come out opposed to it. That makes four Republican senators who are against it, which means there are not enough votes in the Senate to advance Kane's nomination. Some Republicans in the Senate are saying they actually think that it, it just, it feels to them like the president advanced the nomination as a trial balloon and it got out there publicly and that he perhaps did not want it. Although the president has now come out and said he's doubling down on it. I got to think that if the president advances the nomination uh, so what happens is you go through a a process where they vet you, they make sure there aren't any skeletons in your closet, or or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then they advance you to the Senate with all of that information. I got to think if he can just get face-to-face with some of these guys, he may be able to convince them. Uh, they probably have forgotten he was on the Federal Reserve in the past, and he just needs to remind them of that, remind them that, in fact, he actually can and is capable of doing the job. But as it stands right now, there are not enough votes in the Senate. Even if every other Republican were to vote for him, um, it's not going to happen. And there appear to be several other Republicans behind the scenes advising the president that while out of respect for Herman, they're not coming publicly against him. Privately, they're telling the president they don't plan on voting for him either. So not a good setup there. Now, when we come back, reporters are defending Representative Omar over her 9-11 remarks. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, Ilya Omar, Ilhan Omar, I guess her name is, is the um, outspoken representative from Minnesota, one of them. And she is, has been, well, she called 
9-11. She was very dismissive of 9-11, that uh, it was something some some group did to some people, basically, is what she said. The New York Post is outraged, and their front cover today on the New York Post is a picture of the World Trade Center exploding as the plane impacted the South Tower and said, this is your something done by someone. What's so interesting here is that uh, as people are pointing out the craziness that of the things she keeps saying, you've got people who are defending her, including members of the media. The members of the media, uh, from BuzzFeed to The New Yorker to whatnot, are outraged at The New York Post for daring to take her on. You know, I have a theory about what's happening. It's that... At this point, they realize she's not going to go away and she's not going to stop saying crazy, offensive things. And so they're turning the tables and they're trying to attack anyone who points out the crazy, offensive things she's saying because they've got to. They have no choice but to do that because she's going to be there for at least two years and they're doubling down. The same way they've doubled down on Ralph Northam, on on Justin Fairfax, on the rest. The Democrats are doubling down. If it, if it was a Republican who said something like this, they would be nuts. So your Representative Tlaib is on TV now defending uh, Ilan Omar. Listen to this. They do that. They take our words out of context because they're afraid because we speak truth. We speak truth. To- wait, 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 wait. They, they, they didn't take her words out of context. They quoted her. They actually quoted her. Our, my sister, Ilhan Omar, she... Her sister. It was National Siblings Day. She was talking about was uplifting people. By- how How is it uplifting to people to say, ah, oh, 9-11, it was some people did some things. Supporting their civil liberties and civil rights. She has always, always condemned any strategy, especially if a person that's directly impacted by being a refugee herself. She sees what terrorism can do. She sees what violence can do. Well, then why did she say what she said? To a whole country, to a whole people. Taking it out of context, this is just pure racist act by many of those, hateful <laughs> act by those, because she does speak truth when it talks about different issues that they don't disagree with. And I'm really outraged because as a person that has gotten direct th- death threats myself, I know that her life is put in more danger. And I see her not just as my sister, Ilhan Omar, as a colleague, but I see her as a mother of three uh, trying to raise her children. I can't imagine their lives without her. And the fact that these people are irresponsibly taking those words out of context. And in- all the, uh, you know, we, this is just, this is a uh, crazy nonsense. We can just stop this. Nobody took it out of context. Nobody took anything out of context. She is the one who said that 9-11 was some people did some things. Completely dismissive of it. Nobody took that out of context. She did not have to say that. It is not racist to point out that she said it. It is not racist to point out that she should apologize for saying it. It is not racist to say it's her downplay 9-11. And yet that's the best they have. They have to accuse the right of racism. Then they, they got to, anybody who criticizes, even in the media, they, they got to be attacked for criticizing. And again, now, uh, Tlaib is an exception because she's a, a radical, wackadoo, crazy leftist and, and apologist for terrorism as well. So, of course, she's going to double down on this. But the rest of the left, they realize, look, this woman ain't going anywhere, so we got to double down on this. That's what's happening. They're doubling down on it because, well, nobody's going to go anywhere. It is it is sad we're at this point, obviously. Uh, but uh, that's that's the state of play. These are the Democrats who got elected, and the Democrats are going to protect themselves. Just ask yourselves what their reaction would be if a Republican said something like that. I mean, you, you don't even really have to to know. 
Um, it's it just crazy. And, and, you know, one of the other issues is for her to say she got death threats. You know, I've gotten death threats too. I've gotten death threats. I've talked about them on the air. We've had people show up on our front porch to threaten my family. My kids have been harassed in the grocery store. I mean, poor, pitiful uh, Ilhan Omar. She stands up and she says, 9-11, some people did some things and essentially says we got to move on. And somebody gets mad and calls her out on it. Oh, oh, I've been threatened. I have to. I have to. And I'm not going to call them racist, bigoted, or anything else. Um, it just uh, They're trying to make themselves the victims because it's about all they know. I just... Uh, things like this frustrate me, honestly. I mean, you should be frustrated too to, to scream, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. They, they're, they're, they're racist for, for calling her out. Think about, you know, I, I disagree with the president calling reporters treasonous. I mean, I disagree. With, I've got, got an angry, angry, angry message the other day, yesterday as a matter of fact, from someone who said it was upset with me for dismissing their claims that John McCain's a traitor. And, and you know, I'm sorry if I, if I'm making some of you mad by disagreeing with you on this, but you're, you actually are wrong and you're stupid. Uh, and I realize you're going to turn off the radio for me calling you stupid, but you are John McCain is an American war hero. You just disagree with him on policy and you're too immature to accept that a disagreement on policy, uh, is not treason. Oh, but he, we get the country. Oh, whatever. Grow up. Um, it, it, it is no different from these people on TV screaming about, oh, they're racist, they're racist, they're racist. No, they're, they're not racist. No, they just don't like you undermining uh, what happened to the United States. Yeah, I, I did just actually call people who listen to this program stupid, but somebody needs to tell them that because they, they need an intervention. I, I was actually taken aback by the amount of angry emails I got from people who really genuinely are convinced that John McCain is a traitor. John McCain, a war hero who was put in a prison camp and stayed there and refused to leave when given the opportunity because he did not want to give our enemies a PR victory. That that guy's the traitor. I mean, man, we have lost uh, just all boundaries of civil discourse in this country when you call a guy like that a traitor. But it doesn't stop people. And then they call me angry. They, they email me angry. Uh, oh, my goodness gracious. People have lost their minds. Politics in this country has really gotten crazy, hasn't it? People have turned it into an idol. People worship politics in this country. They, they live or die by it. You're not allowed to disagree. If you disagree, you're not just a, an opponent. You're an enemy. You're a traitor. Uh, unless people are willing to rein that back in. This is why I just I, I, I just don't get hysterical about a lot of this stuff anymore. And I used to. I used to get hysterical about this stuff. But I just can't get myself worked out about it anymore because I realized it, it became all-consuming. That's why I try to talk about other stuff. That's why I try to talk about recipes. That's why I try to talk about local stuff and cultural stuff because it, politics, when it becomes all-consuming, and we're seeing this on the left. For example, there's an author out there today. Uh, I forget the guy's name. He's got a New York Times bestseller, but basically said that uh, pity the publisher who tries to publish Kristen Nielsen's memoirs, that all authors will stand up and exercise their First Amendment rights, essentially calling on people to harass publishers. If they dare to publish this woman's book, that, that actually is fascism, using the mob to punish a corporation for not doing what you want. That, that's fascism. And they're okay with fascism as long as it is liberal fascism. They're okay using the mob to scare people. And what it is, 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 is politics has become their religion. 
And it's become the religion of some people on the right who say they love God and believe in Jesus, but hell hath no fury uh, if you criticize one of their political idols. They can't abide criticism anymore, even when the criticism is true, and that is deeply problematic. And it is worse on the left than it is on the right, and I do mean that sincerely, and it is, whether you want to hear it or not, it is far worse on the left than the right, because most people on the right are still grounded in a religious truth, and a lot of people on the left, an overwhelming majority of people on the left, particularly white people on the left, have abandoned religion altogether and politics has become their religion and so their their idols have taken on gods the form of gods and if you criticize their idols well you're committing heresy and must burn at the stake it is not a healthy relationship and racism and all the rest these are the sins of the left abortion is a sacrament of the left and that's why you had these people going on tv refusing to listen to anyone on the right because the right are heretics and demanding that everyone pay, pay fealty to these people who stand up and defend terrorists. It's problematic. It's not healthy. It's not going to end well for any of us. I love this story so much. Greg Craig is being indicted for lying to Robert Mueller's team. Uh, This is an interesting thing to note is that um, the Mueller report came out. They said there were no more indictments. His apparently had already been processed, uh, but had not been made public. Uh, maybe there are more of those to come. The media, of course, is, is salivating over the idea that that maybe there are some Trumps we're getting. To. You know, it's really funny. Just as an aside, we'll get to Greg Craig in a minute, but it, it's very, very funny that so the the William Barr letter comes out. The Attorney General tells Congress that Bob Mueller says there is no collusion. And that Bob Mueller left it to the attorney general to decide whether or not there was obstruction based on Department of Justice guidelines. They, they don't think they could charge the president with obstruction. But bottom line, no conspiracy, no collusion, no coordination with the Russians. And now you've got members of the media acting as if the William Barr investigation, you know, have, they've, they've gone back to MSNBC on a daily basis is all about the Russian collusion. I mean, the Julian Assange story, we'll get to Julian Assange here in a little while. But uh, they're like, oh, 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 is, is the president going to pardon Julian Assange to keep Julian Assange from talking about the coordination with the Russians? We've already discovered there was no coordination with the Russians. Well, now Greg Craig has been it. I, I just listen as a guy named Eric Erickson. I love the name Greg Craig. Greg Craig. He is was Barack Obama's lawyer. He also worked for Bill Clinton. He's been indicted on two counts of making false and misleading statements to investigators. This has nothing to do with helping Donald Trump. It was for his work with Paul Manafort uh, related to the Ukrainians. Now, this is the important part here. Democrats have very smugly for a while said that no members of the Trump administration have gone to jail or been implicated in scandal. Now, in large part, that's because uh, Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch refused to have independent investigations into uh, Fast and Furious and things like that. So th- they intentionally avoided, or for example, the FBI wanted to indict Hillary Clinton and they refused to allow it to happen. Well, they got to drop the talking point now because Greg Craig is being carted off to jail. They can't so smugly say, none of us ever did this. No no one in the Obama administration ever conducted anything illegally. The best they can do is say, this didn't happen while he was working for Barack Obama, but it still happened. It still happened. They still have to deal with it. Now, when we come back, 
We need to talk about the vice president. Oh, I, I, I really do want to talk about uh, Michael Avenatti and Julian Assange as well. But the vice president, Democrats are really obsessed about Mike Pence right now. Pete Butterjudge is really obsessed with Mike Pence. I mean, really obsessed. Keeps bringing it up. CNN ran the stupidest article the other day. said the feud between Pete Butterjudge and the vice president is heating up. All, all it is, is is Pete Butterjudge is criticizing the vice president who said nothing, nothing until today. And suddenly it's becoming a bigger story. In the meantime, though, have you heard about millennials at the Masters? They're not allowed to bring their cell phones in. They, they don't know what to do. They've started talking to people. It's very bizarre. They're not staring at phones. People are, are amazed at millennials. They actually can talk at the Masters. It is such a cool rule. You're not allowed to bring your cell phone into the Masters. You have to actually watch the game and talk to people. Well, I have to deviate momentarily from moving on to Vice President Pence uh, because some listeners think I'm misrepresenting a story to you guys, and I need to clear the air here. So welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here on Atlanta's Evening News, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, got an email from a listener who said, hey, you're, you're not telling the whole story about fetal heartbeat and, and Brian Kemp and the polling. Uh, look at it. Well, okay, here it goes. Uh, regarding House Bill 41, those who have strong opinions for it, 39% said they were strongly opposed and 26% said they strongly support. So 39% strongly opposed, 26% strongly support. So? So? So you mean less than 40% are strongly opposed to the fetal heartbeat legislation. Um, here's Here's the data. 39% of people say they disapprove of Brian Kemp's job. 39% say they're strongly opposed to the heartbeat legislation. And yet Brian Kemp's support for in favorability went up nine points. In other words, the Democrats in Georgia are strongly opposed to fetal heartbeat and Brian Kemp and everybody else is okay. It's really not a big deal. I mean, it, it really isn't. I love the way the media spins these sorts of things to make it into a thing. you got to remember, the media is to the left of voters on uh, life issues. The, the media in this country is the most pro-abortion constituency in the country outside of the left of the Democratic Party, where most of these people in the media come from anyway. To say that 39% strongly oppose this and they're going to vote on it, you know what? They were going to vote Democrat anyway. They, they were going to vote Democrat anyway. There is not a member of our state legislature who is going to lose in November of next year because of the fetal heartbeat legislation with the possible exception of Deborah Silcock and uh, that other Republican. They may lose because of it, because Republican voters may reject them in a primary. But the others, no one's going to lose. None of the Republicans who voted for it are going to lose. Because of that legislation, they may still lose. Don't get me wrong. They may still lose next year. And I'm sure Democrats will say, oh, it's fetal heartbeat legislation. But it's not. It's not going to be. I mean, the data is not there to support it. Uh, it, is a, it, is def it is a spin. The reason you do need to understand why the media and the Democrats, and I do implicate the media in this. I even implicate the local media in this. The, the, the Atlanta media. 
I strongly implicate the Atlanta media in this because the Atlanta media is as biased on this issue as the national media when it comes to abortion. The Atlanta media, you pick your media outlet in Georgia. It is overwhelmed with reporters who believe that abortion is a woman's right, which differs with the majority of American women, differs with the majority of American men. Majority of American women and a majority of American men both say that restrictions on abortion are okay and that the further in a pregnancy you go, the more it should be restricted to the point of prohibiting it altogether towards the end of pregnancy. And a majority of the members of the media in Atlanta and nationally across the board at media outlets disagree with that position. They are fully in the tank on uh, no restrictions at all on abortion. And so when they cover the issue that way, that's how they cover it. And when they cover the issue that way and they try to make the case that, oh, Republicans are going to lose because of this issue, because they're emotionally invested in it. And the reason they have to take that position is because if Republicans don't lose over this issue, well, then suddenly they, they are exposed as being frauds on the issue. And they don't want to be exposed as frauds. They don't want to be exposed as fear mongering. So they really are deeply invested in advancing the narrative that Republicans are hurting themselves by advancing pro-life legislation because they are so pro-abortion, that's the only way they can see the issue. But, I mean, the AJC polling here, 39% of those polled strongly oppose the legislation. That's the same number of people who strongly oppose Brian Kemp. That's crazy. That, 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 that means it's nothing. That means that this issue isn't going to hurt the Republicans. I, before I transition into this news about the vice president, just a, a note about Monday. Monday is tax day, April 15th. And it was in 2010 when the Tea Party really got its rise. It was the guy on CNBC, what's his name? I can't remember his name, Rick Santelli, who said that there really ought to be an uprising over taxes in this country. Taxes have gotten out of control. Government spending have gotten out of control. People should protest. And from his words sprang the Tea Party movement in America. And groups organized around the country to hold protests on tax day, April 15th. Well, it is now the 10th anniversary. I guess it was actually 2009 that it started. And it is now the 10th anniversary. And it's happening on Monday. And around Georgia, Tea Party groups that have long since really wound down, moved on, refocused, uh, they're getting back together to protest again uh, outrageous government spending and taxes in this country. And I know in Forsyth County, at 5 p.m. at the old courthouse downtown, there is going to be a gathering. So if you're in Forsyth County on April 15th, at 5 p.m., go to the old courthouse and be a part of a 10-year anniversary celebration of the Tea Party movement and, again, take up the arms over out-of-control government spending. We still have a problem, and now it's the Republicans who are part of it. We, we all They've been exposed now. And if we are intellectually honest, we need to be able to stand up and hold our own side accountable on the issue of government spending. It has really gotten out of control, and it is not a good thing. Now, I want to move on to the vice president. He is increasingly the attention of Pete Butterjudge, the mayor from Indiana, who is running for president. Mike Pence has never said anything publicly other than kind words about Pete uh, Buttigieg. In fact, 
in 2015, the vice president was asked about Pete Buttigieg uh, announcing he was gay, and the vice president said he knew him to be a patriot, a man of honor, and a good mayor. That was it. But on the campaign trail now, Pete Buttigieg is running around the country attacking the vice president as a homophobe, as a bigot, as small-minded, and as someone who needs to update his Christianity. And finally, after days and days and days of this, the vice president decided to respond. In the news the last couple of days, you've got Mayor Pete uh, Buttigieg is um, using, invoking your name to, I guess, highlight a conservative pushback to certain LBGP um, ideas or, or marriage equality and, and the like. Uh, is that fair to use you as, as the, the boogeyman in terms of uh, uh, to point at you? And would you like to respond? I don't know if you've responded yet. Well, look, I, I work very closely uh, with Mayor Pete when I was governor of the state of Indiana. We had a great working relationship. And uh, uh, he said some things that are uh, critical of my Christian faith and, and, uh, and about me personally. And he, he knows better. He knows me, but I get it. Uh, you know, it's well, like they got me, 19 people running for president on that side. Have you evolved at in all? In a party that's those? sliding off to the left, and I agree, they're all they're all competing with one but, another but for Mr. how much Mr. more Since the year 2000, so have you? I get that. The country's evolved to some extent. I think on marriage equality, on uh, on gay rights. Have you? Would you say your your views have evolved? at all since then? Look, the Supreme Court has made their decision. So you, you accept it as law? I, and when, when I was governor of Indiana, we fully implemented, implemented okay. that decision in the law. But Joe, I, I have my Christian values, my family and I have a view of marriage that's informed by our faith, and, and, and we stand by that. But that doesn't mean that we're, that we're critical of anyone else who has a different point of view. And one of the great things about this country is our, our freedom of religion and the freedom of conscience. And, um, you know, we'll continue to cherish our values, cherish our views. Yeah, that was well said. And yet he's being attacked for saying that today, uh, that, he, that he needs to get rid of his outmoded Christian views. You, you have progressive Christians who say it's time for Christianity to move on. Uh, you know, God is unchanging, and God has spoken according to Christian doctrine on this issue. And because God doesn't change, Christians can't change on this issue. Um, but there is a worldly element within Christianity that wants to, a, a, a progressive element. And they've been emboldened by Pete Buttigieg. And it's not just this issue on, on social justice issues, on taking care of the poor, uh, immigrants, refugees, you name it. They're, they've decided that government has a role. I, I My personal view of Christianity is that we have an individual obligation, not a governmental obligation. Uh, the left, though, has interpreted Christianity as, as it's time to bring heaven to earth the by the hands of sinners because they don't actually believe in the second coming or the physical resurrection of Christ. Uh, they believe it is a personal obligation that uh, it transcends into a government obligation, which I think is flawed doctrine, flawed reason, and, and really contrary to Scripture. But they've been emboldened by people like Buttigieg, and they are convinced now that they can use progressive elements in the mob to shut down anyone who believes otherwise. You guys, my family has become dedicated users of Calm. Calm is an app, and Calm puts my kids to sleep at night. It, it really does put my kids to sleep at night. It's so funny. My youngest is 10, 
and listens to a story about Jupiter and its moons, and he can't tell me how the story ends, and it frustrates him deeply, but he hears the story, and he goes to sleep, and he loves that he goes to sleep, but he also tries to challenge himself to stay awake, and he can't. Uh, it, it's very, very funny. It, so it, Calm doesn't just do, uh, isn't just a sleep app. It's also for meditation. Um, they have all sorts of spoken word formats and music for sleep, for meditation, for relaxation. They've got guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day. If you head to calm.com slash Eric, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. Uh, my family, we pay for a Calm premium subscription. They, they don't actually give me the subscription. I actually pay and was a Calm user before doing this uh, doing this ad on pod, podcast. Uh, it is a great, great app. I actually do believe in this app. We use it in our house. My daughter, my son, my wife, even me when I'm traveling and I'm in hotel rooms, particularly hotel rooms where there's road noise, I fire up the Calm app. It stays on my phone and my iPad. Right now, get 25% off the Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M.com slash Eric. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric. Get calm, stop, stress, stop stressing, and start sleeping. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. So we had somebody call in and say that uh, the reason that you can't bring your cell phones into the masters is they want to control the pictures that come from the masters. They don't want people's cell phones in there. They also don't want the phones ringing while you're on the course, but all the sponsors want to be able to control everything and control the image. And I actually like that. Uh, that's why the masters is such a classy event is because they control the imaging. There's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful photo that came out today of a golf ball bouncing across the water. And between all of the blooms and the people in, in colors, the, it looked like a Monet painting. Uh, really, I mean, it was gorgeous. Uh, you should go look for it. When we come back, uh, a lot of questions about the Herman Cain situation. I want to spend some time talking about that and also the Julian Assange and the Michael Avenatti situations. Hello there, it's Eric Erickson here in Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Very glad to have you joining me this evening. Uh, a lot of people emailing, asking, uh, what's the deal with the Herman Cain confirmation? So the president is saying that he's going to let Herman decide whether or not he wants to uh, continue on. Four Republicans have come out and said that they are opposed to Herman Cain, the latest being Kevin Kramer uh, from North Dakota, uh, joining Lisa Murkowski, Cory Gardner, and uh, I forget who the fourth one is. John Thune saying publicly that there are others who are privately opposed, but out of respect for the president and Herman are not publicly saying so. Uh, it appears there are not the votes there, and there are private signals this evening in Axios in Bloomberg that it doesn't matter. Uh, they, they don't care what the president or Herman say. Their minds are made up already, even without anything. Now, what? why Why is this? Uh, a number of people say, what, what's going on? Well, there is 
The lingering uh, effects of the 2012 presidential bid and the allegations that arose on sexual harassment and whatnot, and these senators believing that uh, those issues would need to be fully explored and investigated, uh, particularly after the Kavanaugh hearing, they would want to take them seriously with the allegations and hold hearings. The other issue is uh, they believe that essentially the world has moved on from the early 1990s when Herman Cain was on the Federal Reserve and that they want uh, economists on the Federal Reserve. They don't want talk radio show hosts on the Federal Reserve. And that completely dismisses Herman's background and biography, but the senators are very adamant on this point. Ultimately, what it comes down to behind the scenes is uh, they think unless there is a full exploration of the allegations that were raised in 2012 and not resolved, that they don't want to go forward, which is a big red flag that they want to drag Herman Cain through the mud. Um, so if he is up for the fight, they're willing to give him a fight. If he's not, uh, the president will walk back the nomination. The nomination, my understanding is that the nomination has not been formally passed off to the Senate. Uh, it was made public by the president, the paperwork not going to the Senate yet because uh, there has to be an investigation. And this happens with all nominations for any, whether it's judicial or executive branch, uh, there is an investigation into someone first that the president intends to nominate. And oftentimes what happens is the investigation happens before the president makes public that he's nominated the person. So they can see if there's a there there. There's no reason to drag someone through the mud uh, if they can't get confirmed based on what turns up in the investigation. This president has a propensity to announce who he's who's going to nominate, and then the investigation unfolds, which is somewhat different from prior administrations. Well, with the flags being raised here, we'll see where this goes. Now, I, I need to mention Julian Assange, and before I do, let me let Newt Gingrich mention Julian Assange. Hey, Newt, is this guy a hero, or is he a villain? Well, I think if you believe in national security, if you believe in the safety of the United States, uh, he's a villain. Uh, I think it's a very good thing that the United States government is communicating. It may take a while to get to you, but if you violate our secrets, if you endanger our national security, uh, if you put the country at risk, we're going to come after you till we get you. And I think uh, that's exactly the right approach. <clears throat> Nobody has the right to leak secrets that could endanger lives and, in fact, could endanger the whole country. Yes, absolutely right. There are a lot of people who want to treat Julian Assange as a hero because he leaked the emails through WikiLeaks from Hillary Clinton and others. The reality is he is a tool of the Russian government, has had uh, pretty awful allegations made about him in personal conduct. Remember in Sweden, uh, there were the allegations with the woman involved. He's not a good person. He's not a friend of the United States. He is not some sort of hero. And people on the right who may be cheering him on because he went after Hillary Clinton, uh, you shouldn't be. Bad people are capable of doing things you occasionally like. It doesn't mean they're good people. They're still bad people. And he is a bad person. He is a bad person who worked with Bradley Manning to undermine the national security of the United States. And arguably his conduct cost people, American soldiers, lives. Just because he leaked details about Hillary Clinton's emails does not make him a hero. He cost American lives, potentially, in uh, Iraq and possibly Afghanistan through willfully leaking information to undermine the national security of the United States, and more likely than not, was knowingly working with the Russians. Time will tell. 
He's not a hero, and it really is appalling to see people uh, championing him. It always was. It, it was always it, it was always a bad thing to see even other talk radio show hosts out there championing him, um, offering to let him fill in on the radio and things like that. The guy undermined American national security and put American soldiers' lives at risk working with the traitor. He's not a good person, and no one should think he is. Can we take a moment to laugh at the troubles of Michael Avenatti? Maybe we shouldn't, but man, uh, listen to the U.S. attorney. I will now discuss the various areas of criminal conduct in a bit more detail. The first area of criminal conduct discussed in the indictment alleges that Mr. Avenatti committed wire fraud in relation to funds, more than $12 million in total, that he received and held in trust on behalf of his clients. While Mr. Avenatti was entitled to attorney's fees for the settlements he negotiated, the indictment alleges that he nevertheless stole millions of dollars that rightfully belonged to his clients. There are five separate client victims in four cases in which money was stolen. The indictment outlines how Mr. Avenatti's embezzlement scheme typically operated. In each of the four cases of embezzlement alleged in the indictment, Mr. Avenatti received money on behalf of clients into client trust accounts, misappropriated the money, and lied to the clients about receiving the money, or in one case, claimed that the money had already been sent to the client. Yikes. That's not good. So it looks like he may be carted off to jail. The bankruptcy case is related to the theft of client funds because Mr. Avenatti allegedly used money stolen from one client to pay his creditors, including to pay off an IRS tax lien at issue in the bankruptcy. If convicted of the 36 crimes alleged in the indictment, Mr. Avenatti would face a statutory maximum sentence of 333 years in federal prison, plus a mandatory two-year consecutive term for an identity theft count. Of course, the ultimate sentence would be up to a judge following a conviction. At this point, I want to stress that Mr. Avenatti is presumed innocent unless and until he is proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in court. (laughs) Yeah, but wow. Now, he's saying he's completely innocent and he's going to fight it. But wow, the evidence is something else. And the clients and law partners, well, they're starting to speak out. Think about all the attention he got on the media. Think about how many news networks propped him up just because he hated the president. Unreal.